Hey everybody, I'm Zachary Keener of Warrior Team Productions. I'd like to welcome you out to the next episode of the Zets Film Odyssey podcast, a podcast designed to track my journey into the film industry as I make my way into becoming a filmmaker. Today, we sit down with Cam Logan, creator of Logan Social Entertainment, and we talked about him being a writer-director in the independent film scene. So how are you doing today, Cam? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. So thanks for uh, coming in. So we're going to start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, how you got into film, and stuff like that. My name is Cameron Logan, full name. I go by Cam. I started directing and writing films I think it was four or five years ago at this point. When I was younger, I always had a love for film. I looked up to people like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And when I got a little older, I started getting more into the independent films, auteurs like uh, Wes Anderson. Christopher Nolan was another big influence, even though, you know, he does a lot of blockbuster stuff too. Yeah, I mean, I the first thing I did when I started driving was drive to movie gallery here in Grovetown. Because I was just obsessed with film, and it's it's always been my biggest biggest passion. I don't know why, I don't know how it came to that, but I just love watching films. I love dissecting them. I love trying to figure out character motivations, and I mean, really, it's it's just always been a passion of mine. All right, so tell us something about the first thing you wrote. When I was younger, uh, my friends and I used to mess around with a VHS recorder, and we used to film crappy little. Short films, you know, we'd go outside with some sticks, act like we're fighting with lightsabers. We shot like a sci-fi film called Changing, where we would change into different people. (laughs) Sometimes we just get props and it's like we change into a prop and it really had no plot. It was just like a person going around changing into different things all the time. But of course, if you messed up a take, you had to rewind it and tape over it. When I got older, I didn't really think filmmaking was in the cards because it was something that seemed so far out of reach. Um, so like I a kinda, lot of us independence. Right. So I gave it up, you know, and I, I never thought I was that great at it anyway. When I got older, I started working at Augusta State University. I became friends with a few student assistants that would help us out around the media center. But there was one in particular, Neil Davenport, who he goes by C. Neil Davenport. That's his writing name. He inspired me to get back into filmmaking. And Neil was working on a short film called Bruce and Bobby. Me and Neil started talking and I, we just had these long conversations and I would give him plot ideas for this film. And, you know, he would actually take some of these ideas and he actually put it in the film. And I'm not saying the film was better for it because it may have been worse with my plot (laughs) ideas. I had so much fun talking to Neil about these plot ideas that I decided to get back into filmmaking and, and actually do it the right way because you know, when you're younger, you made these crappy films, but I was like, if I'm going to start doing this, I want to make sure I have a boom mic, have a decent camera, have a good script and some good actors. You know, those to me, those were the four basic things I wanted to start with. And so I went out and I bought a camera. I started writing a script. It took me maybe like a week or two weeks to write my first short film. And it was called Stories to Tell. And it was a film about a writer who had writer's block. He didn't know what to write about, but he would watch people on the street as they passed by and get ideas from strangers. You know, it wasn't the greatest script in the world, but my goal was to finish something quickly, just get something out there and say that I can do this. So I bought a boom mic. Uh, I tethered it straight to the camera. I didn't have someone with a, you know, Tascam recorder or something. And I got my wife's cousin. He was probably like 12 at the time. I asked him if he wanted to help out, and he said, sure. And so he held the boom mic. He had never done that before. 
and I had never directed. And so my sister came and helped out and my wife came and helped out. And we had about four actors in the film. Basically, I was scrambling to look at the shot list, direct the actors, set up the camera, like do the camera settings. So I was basically doing everything except for audio. It was probably one of the most stressful four hours of my life. (laughs) But we finished it in about four hours in downtown Aiken. It was a lot of fun. And when I started editing, I realized how much I enjoyed editing because that was something I had never really done much of. Editing a narrative film is a lot different than YouTube videos. Yes, very much so. You know, it was a good experience. I got to work with some good actors, Adam Schultz, uh, Maria Kane. You know, I was lucky. My first film, I had good actors. I mean, not everybody can say that. But these were people that had been in previous films. They had been on stage, and they just liked the script, so they agreed to it. I think it turned out fairly well, but obviously, hopefully, I've gone on to do bigger and better things. My sister still says it's the best film I ever made. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about some of your other work. I've done a few short films since then. The two longest ones I did were Bryn Gets a Job and Teddy's Party. Uh, Bryn Gets a Job was an 18-minute 80s comedy, and Teddy's Party is a sequel to that, sequel slash spinoff. So I I guess Bryn Gets a Job is probably the most successful film I've done as far as how many people have seen it and what impact it's had on my film career, in quotes. I started writing a film called Bryn Gets a Job. It was just an idea I had to write a character who was equally dislikable as likable. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to write something, a character that just didn't care. Someone who is not doing anything with their life necessarily, just kind of drifting by. Because in my 20s, a lot of times I felt like I was just drifting you know, I was I was working a job, but I feel I think we all wonder where we're headed in life. And sometimes it feels like we can get stuck. And so that was sort of the idea for Burn Gets a Job. So I wrote the script. Um, I sort of put it on the back burner because I wasn't that confident in it. And then I was working with my friend Matt Pitchford on another script called Noise, which is a film that he ended up directing. And one thing he asked me, he said, hey, He's like, that Bryn gets a job script. Do you mind if I direct that? I almost said yes. (laughs) I almost said yes, but something inside of me did not want to give that one up for some reason. I was just like, this. there's something about this script that would be fun to make. I started casting with Susan Willis. She has a lot of connections locally. She has a lot of connections with uh, Mama Bear Casting, which is her company. So basically, I, I asked her if we could start casting for the character of Bryn. Uh, Because I had someone else in mind, but that person just didn't seem like they had any time to work on this project. So I was like, let's cast for Bryn. And Susan was like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's let's ask actors to send in audition videos. And I had never done that before. It was a first for me. and, And so I'm sitting there watching audition videos, having to pick between different actresses for this role. One of the worst feelings, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you have to basically reject someone, you know, and say, no, nah, you weren't good enough for this. So I felt bad. I was like, for someone to come to me, you know, want to be in my film and for me to turn them down, like, it's, it's a horrible feeling. But, you know, I've, as, as I've gone on as a filmmaker, I've become more used to the feeling. And I just realized the most important thing is making sure the final product is exactly how you want it to be or close to what you want it to be. So if you cast somebody just because they're available or if you cast somebody just because they're a next-door neighbor, you're probably not going to get the performance you want. 
But anyway, we found somebody who was great for the role, which was Hannah Laurie. We love you, Hannah, if you're listening. She is one of the best actresses we have here. She's in a short film called Mediator that's going to be in the Atlanta Film Festival, which is an awesome accomplishment. Hannah was great for the role. She she had that snark to her, but also that likability. Brandon Fields played Teddy, which was just a small role. It was supposed to be like a stoner type, like sort of like from like Bill and Ted. But when Brandon came in, he was nothing like what I imagined for that role. He just brought his own energy to it. And that chemistry was probably the most successful part about Bryn Gets a Job. And uh, it's something I wanted to bring into the sequel, which was Teddy's Party. I wanted Bryn to be a large role in the film, but I also wanted Teddy to be the main character. Because I, I'm just always interested in like trying new things. And so I came up with the idea that he lives with his grumpy grandfather that hates him. And Teddy's the nicest guy in the world. So basically, Teddy is the type of person, he's so positive that nothing goes right for him. <laughs> you know, because everybody gets annoyed by his positivity in a way. But in the end, his positivity ends up helping him. And it, it's his strength. You know, it's something that helps him connect with his grandfather. And if you're wondering, you can find both these films on YouTube. Links will be down in the description. I suggest you check them out a fun time i actually helped uh cam on one of them that's i was right. the uh boom operator for teddy's party for uh three scenes that's right so you guys should definitely go check this out I'll, like i said the links will be in the description of this episode and you did a great job too i'll uh, say that oh thank you thank you it's the first time i actually did the boom uh, and you know it's funny because i've worked with people who have done a lot of you know boom operating and you did just as good as they did so, I mean, it was for you to be a first-time boom operator, you did a great job. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And it's all about learning and supporting local filmmakers, going out right. there and helping each other to get our vision across, get our products out there, and right. to bring attention to Augusta because we do have talented filmmakers here. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of talented filmmakers. And by the way, he's also from Aiken, so Aiken has talented filmmakers as well. I'm an Aiken slash Augusta hybrid. Because <laughs> I, I was raised in the Augusta area, but I moved to Aiken County when I got married. Okay. So it's, you know, I got my heart in both places. All right. From your first film about <clears throat> the writer who gets inspiration from strangers to where you are now, what have you learned along that, that roadway as well as what have you refined in your processes of both writing and directing? The first film I made, Stories to Tell, uh, I was working with a very small crew very small cast. It's not necessarily a bad thing when you're first starting out. As you progress, you want to step up your game more and more with each project. Of course. And if you don't step up your game, you're just going to stay stuck in a rut. You're never going to get out of that rut. So you always want to try something different. You always want to try something new with each project. I worked with Matt Pitchford on that short film Noise that I wrote. I wrote the first draft for it. He was smart enough to invite a lot of different people out. He had a lot of connections, people locally who were willing to help out. And that was the first time that I saw what Augusta had to offer as far as talent when it comes to the crew. So I started thinking about Bren Gets a Job, and I was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it right. I need to find people who are willing to help out, who have an interest and a passion for film. So yeah, I learned, I learned to reach out to people. I learned to not try to do everything yourself, because if you do everything yourself, 
you're probably not going to be able to focus on the things that you need to focus on. Uh, my goal is not to be a cinematographer. My goal is not to be a boom operator. My goal is to direct and write. For me, I wanted to focus on those two things first and foremost. And so by having a boom operator who knows what they're doing, or people like you that I know are competent enough to figure it out, <laughs> and having a casting director, having a script supervisor, but by having all these people on your set, you can focus on directing. You can focus on what the actors are doing. I don't have to think so much about what aperture I'm at or how the scene's lit. You know, I, I give my feedback, I give my input, but at the end of the day, I'm mostly focusing on what's going on in the camera screen. At the end of the day, that's, that's what I care about, what's getting captured in the camera and what's getting captured. I do try to pay close attention to what the camera is capturing because when you start editing, you might find something you had no idea was there. It could be like if you're making a period piece, there could have been a car in the background, you know, something set in the 1700s and, and there's a, you know, Chevy Silverado in the background. Or like in one of, um, one of my favorite on post-apocalyptic film, there's supposed to be everyone dead and they're like hanging out this cabin and all of a sudden you see lights in the background exactly. of cars driving by and that's in the final edit too, the, the released version. Yeah. And, and a lot of that comes from directors not paying attention. It's hard because when you're on a film set, you're trying to focus on what's getting captured and you're trying to focus on the performances, but your mind is in so many different places as a director. You might be concerned about this person over here might bump into a table, you know, and ruin the whole shot. You know, I mean, you're, it's hard to focus on every single actor in the scene, but it's something you have to really, like, zone in, you know, and you have to... Make sure you're watching every little subtlety of their performance because if you don't, you're not going to get the performance you want. They may deliver a line in some way that you don't really like, but because you weren't paying close attention, you didn't even notice it. The rest of it, if you have the right crew members, you know, you can just hand it off to them and they can take care of it and do a better job than you would. So I've worked with great cinematographers, Nick Laws, Jeremy Garcia, Denton Atkinson, I've been lucky enough to work with the best cinematographers here locally, in my opinion. There's a few more good ones I haven't worked with that I wouldn't mind working with in the future. We're talking about you, Terrence. Yeah, Terrence. Yeah, come on, man. Hit me <laughs> up. <laughs> but no, I mean, all three of them brought something different to each film. And they they all were easy to work with, but they all equally cared about the finished product. And that's something that's so great as a director is when you have a cinematographer that cares, you don't have to worry about the camera. You don't have to worry about the camera settings. You know, you, you mainly focus on the performances and that the emotions coming across. That's the most invaluable thing. If you're a writer director out there, my biggest advice to you would be find someone who enjoys all the technical aspects of the camera and team up with them, start a partnership. You know, you can do the writing and the directing. They can focus on the camera settings and, you know, the different shot types and camera movements. They can focus on that, and you can focus on the story. I was going to ask you, what, do you, what does directing mean to you? But I think we covered it. Oh, yeah. Because you, you hit it on the head there. So what I feel, uh, feel, too, is that our job is to, as a director, because everyone here listening knows that I'm writing and soon hopefully directing my short film, is... Uh, 
we have to make sure that they deliver the performance we want to portray our story. Right. Now, when it comes to your story, because you are the writer as well of everything that you've, you've worked on, how tight or how loose are you with the script and that the actor sometimes... It's funny. I'm not that tight on the script, but they always turn out to be very close to the script. But uh, if you're working on a comedy, I always encourage improv. But the thing is, um, when you're working with a very low budget, sometimes time is a factor. And so you might not have enough time to really do four or five takes of the same scene. At that point, I would say, okay, we got it. Let's move on. But if we have time, if, if you know we're not running behind schedule, then I'll say, okay, do y'all want to do one where you just improv a little bit? Just throw out some lines. Do you have any ideas what your character might say? Um, I've done that a few times. I haven't used much of the improv because I think improv is a talent in itself. It's different from acting. What is the best improv line that you've captured yourself? Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. But at the end of Teddy's party, Teddy, he's having this touching moment with Bryn. And then all of a sudden, Bryn's ex-boyfriend shows up and professes his love to Bryn. Originally, I just had Teddy stare angrily at Greg, who is Bryn's ex-boyfriend. When we were on set, I think it was Brandon who plays Teddy, or it could have been Andrew that played Greg. Somebody brought up the idea of having Teddy lift his hand and force choke (laughs) Greg. Now, the reason it works is because Teddy, earlier in the film, was dressed as Luke Skywalker. But everyone loved that aspect. And so when somebody brought up the idea of the force choke, I was like, that is a brilliant idea. (laughs) You know, because the whole thing is Teddy's imagining this. He goes into this like fantasy land where he can use the force and he's force choking Greg. We've all been there. Yeah, exactly. But then, it, you know, and then you have a hard cut back to reality. And Teddy's like, oh, it's okay, Greg. (laughs) Whatever. And they become friends at the end. So, uh, yeah, that's probably the best improv uh, I would say I've used. Um, it wasn't done like spur of the moment, but it was something, it was an idea that someone came up with right before we did the shot. So, and it worked. And a lot of people don't know that some of the best lines in film are all been improv. And yeah. the best one that comes to mind right off the bat is uh, Tom Harding, the guy who plays Spider Man, the new Spider Man, and his Tom Holland. Tom Holland, that's yeah. it. And him in his disintegration scene where he's hugging Tony Stark and he's like, I don't want to die. Don't let me die. That was all improv. I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. Yeah, that was all improv, which just brings that much more tears when you see it happen. And if you haven't seen Infinity Wars yet, I'm sorry I spoiled it, but it's been a year. Yeah, I mean, Avengers Endgame is almost out, so you need to get on it. When it comes to writing, what is your process? How do you start? Like, when do you like just do you carry notebooks around with you? Do you have a voice recorder? And then once you have your idea, how do you start hammering out everything? So when it comes to ideas, I'm not very organized. I write it down in this notebook one day. I write another idea down in another notebook. I record on my phone some ideas. I put some in my iPhone notes. And so it's scattered. So first thing I do when I actually decide to write the script is I bring all those ideas together into one place. And I try to, um, usually that place is my brain uh, <laughs> because like I said, I'm not that organized, but um, I do, I do try to uh, write down all my ideas, uh, you know, in like a word document or Excel sheet or something. 
and then I start writing. I usually write a first draft. I'm just now starting to get into scene cards, which is where you, you lay out the whole film through these index cards and, you know, you have them right behind you. <laughs> um, looks like Zach's working on his film. I won't tell you what it's about, but it sounds awesome. So, yeah, I mean, uh, scene cards work well, but it's not something that I'm great at. So a lot of times I'll just start writing because if I can start writing, I can usually figure out where the characters are going to go with the next scene. A lot of times it sort of reveals itself to me. If you know your characters well, if you have them in your head and you have a, a good idea for who they are, then you'll know exactly what decisions they'll make next. You know what lines they'll say. It'll just start to flow out of you. Um, but that's only if you know your characters well. So like when I was writing Teddy's Party, since I already knew the characters of Teddy and Bryn, I already knew their personalities. I, um, I knew exactly how to write in their voices. and I knew exactly what they would say in every situation. So for the new film I'm writing, which is a full-length film, I know the characters very well because they're based off of an existing IP. And uh, that IP is King Arthur. So I'm working on a full-length King Arthur film, and I'm working with a co-writer who happens to be the guy that inspired me to get started, C. Neil Davenport. So yeah, me and Neil are working on the script. So it's the first time I'm working with a co-writer on a full-length script. It's going well. It's, um, Neil tends to be a little bit more methodical about his process. Uh, he's all about making scene cards. He's all about coming up with the uh, the log line. And it's just very methodical, which is great because it keeps me organized. Without that, I, f I feel like we'd be scatterbrained um, and the script would be everywhere, you know. But it's helped me structure it. Full-length films are a lot harder to structure than short films. Like, full-length films, they can fall apart so much easier than a short film. Yes, yes. <clears throat> There's so many more moving parts, and you your schedule is a lot longer. Right. And then that's what's going to lead me into my next question, is as a dual vocational, as a filmmaker, and having a normal job, how does that play into your filmmaking? It's tough. I'll put it that way. It's very tough because even though I like what I do, for a living. My first passion is filmmaking. It's something that I love doing. I enjoy every aspect of it. But that being said, filmmaking, it's not putting food on the table. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Not yet. I'm, I'm working there. I'm working up to that. Um, it's my next project, this King Arthur film. We're hoping to get a distribution deal out of it. So I'm hoping for once to be able to pay everyone on the cast and crew and also make money from the finished product. So you know, wish me luck on that one. Oh, definitely. <laughs> like I said, we got to support local film. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when you get off of work every day, if you're working a nine to five job, you can go home, you can watch TV, you can watch Netflix, you can go home and drink a beer and fall asleep. But you can also go home and work on something you love. And that's what I do. Uh, when I get off of work, I go home and I focus on film. You know, some nights I don't I don't fill up for it. Some nights I go home from work and I say, I'm too tired. I've had a long day. I don't feel like worrying about anything. I'm just going to watch The Office and go to sleep. But a lot of times I go home and I work on the script. And then when the weekend comes, I have all day Saturday and all day Sunday after church to work on the script or to go out and film something or to talk with Neil about different ideas. 
my best advice to anyone who's working a nine to five job and also wanting to get into filmmaking is find time for it. You know, no matter where you're at in your life, if you're able to quit your job and pursue film and work on Hollywood film sets up in Atlanta or New York or LA, go for it. If you're at that point in your life where you can do that, then do it. If you have a family to support, kids, a wife, um, in my case, a cat and a wife, Heather, I love you. You do need to bring in money some way, whether it's working on film sets or working a nine to five job, you do need to bring in money so you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. Because it's like that old saying, you have to spend money to make money. And in film, if you're a writer and a director, you're going to have to spend some of your own money. If you sit around waiting for someone to hand you a budget, it's not going to happen. You may get film grants if you have a good enough script, but most of the time, you're, you're going to be expected to pay all the expenses out of pocket. And with so many different types of new media out there, I mean, you have uh, internet with YouTube and internet channels like Twitch now that have their own TV shows. You have Amazon, you have Netflix, you have Hulu, you have tons others. Right. There's always going to be people looking for new people. So doing your short film and put it out there is a way to get discovered. It's a way to get what you can do out there. And if you're an audio guy, they're going to be listening to that audio. Oh yeah. If you're a cinematographer, they're going to see what you shot. If you're an actor, if you're a set designer, they're going to see what's in that film and it could yeah. lead to things. I mean, not that long ago, um, the first, the second Thor movie, that was his third thing he directed. The first two were short films. Yeah. I think that exposure is very important. It's more important than what people want to think it is. Um, exposure is almost more valuable than money if you're trying to get ahead in film. I don't care what anybody else says. I know that's a controversial opinion. It's a very, it's a very uh, controversial subject. Right. Because people are like, well, I need to get paid, but if you don't have anything to prove that you should get paid, it goes back and forth. Especially in independent film where you don't have a production company that's right. fronting the bill. Like right. When you get into the big, the big leads, you have that production company oh, yeah. umbrella. But when you're starting off on yourself and you're putting out your own stuff, you're coming out of pocket. Right. And you're going to need people to volunteer, which should get that exposure, which will lead them to getting paid. Right. Now, if I've been in the industry for 10 years and it's like, hey, I want you to work on this TV show, but we're going to pay you an exposure. And it's like, I'm sorry, yeah. my rent doesn't take exposure. That, that's the thing. When you actually can call it a career, you don't need to play in films or, or work on films for free. But I mean, most people aren't prodigies. Most people, they have to keep practicing to get better. That's how I am. I'm, I'm constantly trying to get better. And I'm not near anywhere close to the filmmaker I want to be, but I'm going to keep working on it. My only other thing about the being paid is sometimes you're in a situation where you have to be paid because you have no other income coming in. Oh, yeah. So you have to walk away from a project every now and then because you have to get paid. You need a paycheck. Currently, like the situation that I'm in, recently retired for the month of March, I have no paychecks coming in. So... February and March, I had to really work hard on my side hustles to make sure I can meet all my bills. But see, you started your own company. Yes. You know, Warrior yes. King Productions. You, you're going out there and you're pursuing this. You're doing it yourself. You're not waiting for Hollywood to come knocking down your door. You know, you have worked on some film sets. To me, that is, that's the way to do it. If nobody's knocking down your door, why don't you become the person that knocks down other people's doors? You know, you become your own boss. I'm all for starting your own production company. I don't necessarily like the direction Hollywood goes in for a lot of their films. 
Um, everything's very soulless. As much as I would love to direct a Star Wars film one day, honestly, I would be perfectly fine and content with having my own small production company and making my own films. And I actually, I think it'd be more fulfilling than than working on a big budget film because big budget films, you don't have much creative control. But if you if you're your own boss and you have your own company, you can really take your films in whatever direction you please. You can just ask Joss Whedon about that when he left the Avengers. He's like, there's so many restrictions, yet yeah. there's so many guidelines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can't even talk about the restrictions until you're either fired or moved on to the next project. Yeah. As of recent, we're seeing a lot of the small ones break through, like the H Brothers with, uh, oh, what was that movie with Mark Wahlberg in it recently? 3.12 Miles or something like okay. that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that production company was a small production company, and all of a sudden it's released seven films that's made it to theaters. Like, yeah. back to back to back. Like, every time I was in the theater there for a while, I was like, oh, it's them again. And I think a lot of it, too, is like a film, you have, your, you have a set time. If you hit three hours, you have a long film. Therefore, you have to condense the story. The storytelling has to be at a much quicker pace. Right. Unlike a... 10 episode television series, a 10 episode. Which would be series. like a limited series back in the day, but now that's a full season. That's a full season. Yeah. Have you thought about doing anything in a stretch out the storytelling? You know, I've always wanted, since I made Bryn Gets a Job, I've wanted to develop a TV series with the Bryn characters. I've written a full length film for the Bryn characters. I've written episodes for the Bryn characters. I've written some shorts. Um, I haven't decided what I want to do next with those characters, but I know that people have responded well to them. But yeah, that's something that's kind of on the back burner right now. But I would love for Netflix to hit me up and say, hey, we love the Bryn Gets a Job and Teddy's Party films. We want you to make a series based on these characters because I really do love those characters. Bryn and Teddy are just such fun characters to write and all the all the side characters around them are entertaining too. So I could write a thousand scripts with those characters. See, that's the thing that plays to me is doing the episonic. So I did stretch out my storytelling. I think that's the main reason why Game of Thrones was right. so successful is because they got to stretch the story out. Now, it's still rushed compared to the book and the original material, right. but you get to tell a little bit more deeper of each of the stories. You take more time developing right. characters. Yeah, and the audience gets more connected to the characters because they spend more time with them. And uh, it's the reason people rewatch The Office over and over again because people become connected to those characters. Yes. Um, and when I'm writing, yeah, sometimes, especially when you're writing a full-length script, I think a lot of writers feel like, man, I could develop this so much better if it was a TV series. Because the characters you can really flesh out and you can go to like strange new places with them. In a film, you want to get the characters from point A to point B. You know, That's kind of your goal. Get them from point A to point B and make it entertaining and make the characters grow between point A and point B. And I think that was two of the main problems that I saw. People still love these films. These are the problems I saw with movies like Wrinkle in Time. I yeah. think it was very... I never saw that. It was very too fast-paced where you didn't really start caring about the right. characters and Ready Player One. Right. Because he went from meeting a girl to telling her he loves her the, like, the next day. Yeah. And there, there was no development. Now in the book, it was like almost... 14 chapters of development right. between that, that story there. That's right. And that's what we're missing out on with. So you, you have to really up your writing game to right. build that. I think shows like breaking bad really 
do a great job at developing the characters and slowly unraveling the characters. So when you're doing a two-hour film, you can't unravel the characters too much, but you do want to show them grow in at least one or two ways. All right. Well, we're getting towards the end here as we've been going for a little while now. So as we're wrapping up, what is something you want to leave with our listeners? Now, as I said in the first episode, the intro episode, and I think enter the podcast, I put on both. I want this to be a little bit educational, which I think we hit on a lot of good stuff about being an indie and doing there, but what is something you want to leave with the audience? And then how can they contact you? Okay. First off, if you want to contact me, uh, I have a production company called Logan Social Entertainment and we're on Facebook. Uh, I have a personal Instagram page uh, at Logan Social. We also have a YouTube channel, Logan Social on YouTube. You can see some of my short films and YouTube videos. LoganSocial9 at gmail.com is the email address that you can contact me at. Um, as far as advice for filmmakers goes, I'm not one to give advice because, you know, I'm still trying to figure a lot of things out myself. But that being said, the best advice I've ever heard about filmmaking was uh, from some of the creatives over at Pixar. I can't remember who said it, but they said, we make films that we would want to see. And that's something you have to be very cognizant of if you're a writer and a director. Do not make a film that you yourself would not sit through. Do not make a film that you yourself would be completely bored to tears if you had to sit through it and you had nothing to do with it. Be very cognizant of how the audience is going to react. Be cognizant of every moment in the film. Make sure every moment counts because every single moment in your film could be the moment that someone turns it off. Probably the most important thing after making a film that you would want to see is to say something with your film. Don't just make a film that exists purely for entertainment. Put some personal part of yourself in that film. We all have things that we're passionate about. We all have convictions in life. And as a Christian filmmaker, I do write from a Christian perspective. I don't make Christian films per se, because I do like to make films that appeal to a wide range of audience members. But I do try to put some of my beliefs in these films and say something that matters and something that can make the world a better place. And you can do that by showing the darkness in the world, or you can do that by showing someone overcome the darkness in the world. But at the end of the day, your film can inspire people. Your film can keep someone from committing suicide if it's powerful enough. Your film can inspire someone to become a filmmaker or you know, completely change their life. So, I mean, I think every filmmaker should think about what they're saying with each film they make and try to say something that's personal to them. Because if it's not personal, it's just going to feel fake. The suicide really hits home because that is a huge problem that's growing in our society even more and more. I don't know if it's because we have more exposure to news than we used to, but um, I think it's we are told to accept a lot more than we used to. And people like they don't seek the help that they need. Right. And they really, really do. Um, one of the shows I watched had a huge impact on suicide. It's a, it's on Twitch it's called critical role. It's voice actors playing D and D, which is kind of funny and nerdy at the same time. But uh, Matt Mercer, who play who's the DM, not plays the DM, but he is the DM saying that he got an email from one of his fans saying that because of that show, he put off putting suicide because he wanted to see what happened next week. And then he put off the next week. 
Right. And it finally got him down. He finally got the help he needed. He got the people behind him. But like like he's saying, sometimes what you're making could save someone's life if you're putting out good enough content or if you speak to them to the same problem that they're going through. I mean, we do need the escapism from time to time, but I just think um, you should always put a little bit of yourself in each film you make and make sure it's something you care about. Don't just say something that means nothing. Every film doesn't have to be Schindler's List. Exactly. (laughs) Schindler's List, or you can make Ernest Goes to Camp. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our interview with uh, Cam Logan. I'd like to thank him for him coming out and spending his time with me and the listeners. You'll be hearing more about upcoming episodes soon. As I said before, if you want to reach out and make a comment, question please reach out via email at zach at warriorteamproductions.com you can find this episode on our website warriorteamproductions.com or you can find me on my social media i'm on twitter instagram and facebook so is warrior team productions so thank you for listening thank you for your time and until next time remember to chase your dreams and reach for the stars and i'll see you next week 